Keeping Track, and you're listening to Molly Huddle, Alicia Montano, and Roisin McGettigan-Dumas. We want to highlight the important topics, inspiring stories, and amazing women in sport. We're three Olympians from two countries, two moms, and one current pro coming together to talk about issues we're passionate about in the sports world. And we care about the current and future landscape of women's sports. And this is just how we're keeping track. We talk to Irish record holder, mama, cancer survivor, and our good friend, Mary Cullen, about her start in the sport, her days running at Providence College, her professional running career, her injury struggles, and her most recent battle with cancer, which occurred during her pregnancy with baby Ellis. Mary has always been a strong one, and we hear that from her today. Thanks for keeping track. A big shout out to Saucony for sponsoring our season two production costs. At Saucony, a good day is when we get to run. A great day is when we inspire someone else to run. Run for good and thanks for keeping track. Hey everyone, welcome back to Keeping Track. This is episode nine. It's just Alicia and I on the catch up, but we have everybody together on the interview with Mary Cullen, Irish athlete, 5K runner, recent mother, and will tell us a little bit about her recent battle with her cancer diagnosis of a year and a half ago. Alicia, what did you think of the interview? Mary was, Mary's pretty baller. I know that because she's one of my good friends and former training partners, but what were your thoughts? Oh my gosh. Having that, um, first of all, she's so personable. Like I, I don't, I didn't know Mary beforehand besides, you know, knowing her as an athlete and she was just so, um, it was really easy to speak with her and and it, that's not, you know, giving myself a pat on the back because she was easy to connect with. Um, especially as it comes to her talking about a very, um, tough issue with her cancer and sharing that with us. So, um, I think one of the things that she, she's, I, I took away from this is that she did want to be able to speak with people about it, which is probably how she was able to let down, um, any walls that, I would have probably put up around this very, very tough subject, especially with it not being um, something that was in the past. It's like current for her. So there's so much about her. And I think this is what happens with a lot of athletes. You know, we know them as runners and we know them as the basketball player, but there's so much more to them. And there's so many different things that um, people do end up going through, but I, I saw strength in her. And I know for some uh, people struggling with cancer, they like it, it, it kind of pains them when people are like, Oh, we see you're so strong. Cause they're like, I don't really want this by the way. And I want to be strong for this. So, um, yeah, I thought that it, it was really, uh, it was just really awesome to be able to connect with her and talk with her and, and kind of, I don't know, hear her experience and know what she hopes to bestow on the world with her experience and being able to talk about it and share that with people. Yeah, totally. I agree. And Mary is someone who's, she's faced a lot of challenges during her running career, a lot of injuries, disappointments, a lot of um, other struggles. And so she's known what it's like to have to do something tough. But like you said, no one wants to be the strong for those reasons, but she's very, um, she's always been someone that we admired and, um, I think this story hopefully can help some people and mm-hmm. bring some awareness and just be like sort of a beacon of hope because she she very much exudes that and she will tell you guys all about it. Um, Alicia, did you have any shout outs while we're here? Anything you wanted to talk about? I know Ann Mother is doing big things. We talked about it last week, but mm-hmm. how, how are things going? Uh, things are going fantastic um, in that department. Um, Again, like it's funny that we talked about 2020 and then 2021, people are like, automatically, it's just like a brand new year, refresh button, you know, but honestly, it's felt like that for our family in a lot of ways. Um, So, you know, our nonprofit organization and mother, um, you know, we have a lot of great announcements that we were kind of head down working through last year. um, And we've been able to announce our three athletes that we are, our three core athletes that we are supporting going into. Uh, these athletes are going to be making a bid towards the Olympic uh, team, uh, Tokyo 2021, and the, their Sarah Don Harper, Nelson, and Alicia Williams. And all of these athletes are at different stages in their career um, and have very different backgrounds. They're all moms. And um, why I say our three core athletes that we hope to 
have um, small grants throughout the year towards other mother athletes, what, whether it be they need help with travel or they need, you know, whatever um, resources they might need help with from a financial standpoint that could help them thrive and, and pursue their uh, career and in their motherhood. So that's amazing there. Um, and yeah, those are like the biggest things to say. We have a race that's coming up. Uh, shout out to Caden Shea, um, which is um, one of our founding sponsors who has made the race kits for our athletes, um, our and mother athletes. They have a really awesome sports bra that's created with you in mind, with mothers in mind. And um, it's got the support, you know, unit within it, but it also has like a little latch, um, latch down for a nursing mom. And so we created those uniforms so that it's like accessible and it helps break down that barrier that limits a woman's choice um, and makes it very simple for her to just do her job. And if she is a nursing mom, she can also do that. Um, and uh, shout out to Alter Running, who is um, helping co-host a 5K that's helping raise money for and mother um, so that we can support our core athletes and any other mom athletes um, needing a grant thereafter. So ah, boots on the ground, lots of things happening, um, lots of... Uh, I love it. I don't it. know. B- barriers to push down still though. So exciting <laughs> to see it pick up steam and see the action happening and support actually happening. So as well, uh, same as last week, we'll drop the link to Ann Mother if anyone wants to donate and support these grants going forward in the year. Um, I'm behind it 100%. Mm-hmm. And yes. just want to say good job. Keep it up. Oh, yep. And sorry, really quick. And also we are going to be opening registration on March 23rd for um, our and mother mother's day 5k. So keep an eye out for that. You can follow that announcement on ultra running's website, as well as and mother's, um, website or on Instagram at and mother underscore org and at ultra running link in All the right. bio. Sign up yeah. for the 5k everybody. That's great. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So back to, um, Mary Cullen. Yes. Without further ado, we will let you chat with someone who will feel like your new friend after this, Mary Cullen. Welcome back to Keeping Track, everybody. We're here with the whole crew. We have Alicia and Roisin and our guest and our friend, former training partner, Mary Cullen. For those of you that don't know Mary, she's going to talk to us today about her running career. She still holds the Irish indoor record of 843. 2009 bronze medalist at European Indoor 3K, NCAA champion at the 5K in 2006, mom to Ellis, and has a story of this last two years of dealing with a throat and neck cancer, and she wants to raise awareness for that, and we'll talk about that um, harrowing journey that she had. But we just want to start with having Mary say a little bit about herself and just get caught up because um, she's our friend and we haven't talked to her in a while. Hi, Mary. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, girls. Um, thanks a million for having me. I'm very privileged to be um, chatting to three amazing women. So, yeah, like Molly said, it's just great to see you girls. Um, obviously, we're still in lockdown and COVID and it's 2021 and we didn't think we'd be here, but we are. So, yeah, thanks for having me. Molly, you left out one very important piece of information. Mary is the queen of running nerds. So she <laughs> earns that title and she's very proud of it. We think we're bad, me and Molly are pretty bad. But Mary, and that's bad, we're good, like as runner nerds. But like Mary is like, knows Mary, the results before. Mary knows I all the stats. I think I've fallen off that a little bit. I used uh, to I be think, really yeah. good. I remember the the trips like in Providence, we drive to Goddard Park in cross country season. We have a little quiz with Ray, um, and they yeah they were good times. I think I've lost that a little bit now, but I don't I think get so. It but you know, Alicia's PBs, mine, Molly's. Mm. <laughs> don't ask me, please don't ask me. <laughs> no, it's right. I'm the worst. I'm just a life nerd, not a uh, runner nerd at all. Yeah, that's better, I think. We have a runner nerd WhatsApp group, and uh, it's always a good place to. We need websites when you got Mary on there. (laughs) Yeah, whenever there's running news, the um the thread like lights up. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so Mary, I want you to. I just want to dive in on a on a couple of things here. Um, first, like let's tell tell us about your early 
childhood and how you got into um, sports and was it always running? That's the thing. So most of you kind of know a little bit, I guess. There's kind of, we call it like community games here. So that's that would be the running thing where you did it as a kid. Um, and then I probably didn't join my athletic club till I was 11, which is North Slide Athletic Club. But I, I think I wanted to join at nine, but I was too young, so I couldn't join. But no, I loved all sports when I was a kid. Like I didn't, like I played basketball, volleyball, um, like Gaelic football, soccer. Like I kind of did everything. Um, and I really didn't concentrate on running fully, I guess, until probably like 14, 15 and even then I thought I like trained hard I, until I came to Providence in America. And I was like, okay, no, I'm not training very hard. A six mile run is not long. I was like, what? I thought 10K was like really long. Um, so yeah, like I definitely was, I definitely was involved in a lot of sports as a kid. Yeah. So when you were 14, 15 and you started running, did that mean that there was no other sports that you were involved in after that? It's funny because I still loved playing because I loved, I loved basketball. Like I really did. Um, and I never really, like I didn't think at that time, at that age, that like sport could be a career. So um, I know my, my coach at my local club, he kind of wanted me to give up the other sports because like even back then, I suppose I was a little bit injury prone. So I used to pick up like shin splints and that, those kind of things. So he kind of wanted me to stop the other sports, but I still kept playing them through secondary school, which I guess high school for you guys. Um, so I still kept playing the other sports until maybe like my leaving cert. So I was about 17, but I like, yeah, I probably wasn't as committed to them, but I still did play them. Yeah. I think that's huge though. I think there's so such a difference in, I guess, our saying our generation of women is so funny to me. It's like, Ooh, I'm so ugh, generationally above the, um, but for, the, <laughs> yeah. for our generation, like we did multiple sports. And I do think that it, it's actually funny that you're saying, cause you're injury prone, but I, I think that it helps mitigate less injuries, but. Um, no, I think it does too, because yeah. like running is obviously straight line and that kind of thing. So the agility of other sports, I would, I would still tell, even though personally I was injury prone, I'd still tell kids, do other sports for for as long. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then going into college, like how did that Mm -hmm. go? What, what was the process for you? Um, you know, writing college letters, writing essays, was there like a binoculars and that Mary girl, I want her to come (laughs) run with us. Like how did that go? Funny enough, like I remember like, so you'd have coaches that would come to Ireland and they'd come to our national champs or our school champs and I guess scout. Um, Butler University in Indiana. So Joe Franklin, the coach, like used to call me a lot. Like used to talk to my parents and stuff. And I genuinely thought, oh yeah, maybe I'll go to Butler, even though I didn't know much about the school. Like we, as Irish kids, I guess we knew about Providence College, Iona College, Villanova. Um, so they were kind of the schools I really wanted to, to potentially go to. My coach at the time, I suppose, was kind of trying to maybe direct me to not go to America. Then it was funny. I suppose it's a funny story looking back now, but like Ray Tracy at Providence College showed some interest. But like I was talking to Joe Franklin, Indiana and Butler. So I was like, oh, I felt really bad. Like I was talking about Tony with such a nice person. And I was like, oh, how am I going to let him down and say that I don't want to go there and I want to go to, to Providence? And um, Ray at the time, I, I couldn't give Ray an answer because I was felt so bad <laughs> about letting uh, Joe down. But I eventually, I think I like, I think I was like Ray Rome would know this story a little bit better. But um, I wanted to go to Providence in the end. But uh, Ray, I think an issue was like, oh, I don't know if the scholarships left and whatnot. And I was like, oh no, I'm going to lose my opportunity to go to Providence. And I really wanted to go there with the Irish connection. Um, so yeah, then anyways, Ro would probably be able to know more about that, but I, I Ray accepted and, um, I struggled a little bit academically though. That's the only thing for me. Um, I, the SATs, I kind of find hard. Like it took me, it was like two or three goals before I actually got enough of a score to get to Providence. So that was a little bit of a, I remember like the last, I think it was like my last chance. I was like, no, I'm not going to take them again. I'm just not going to be able to get, get through them. But thankfully, I did, and yeah, I went to Providence, which was great. <laughs> yeah, because they did like the, the, the nothing mm-hmm. like the the 
school work we do in Ireland, like the SATs are like, we're like, what is this? Okay, <laughs> well, yes. even, even having been in the American school program, we all look at it like, what is this? Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, okay. I remember, yeah. I remember doing That's SATs and it was like A through, you know, picking A through like E. And I'd be like, if I was really confused about something, I'd be like, okay, rock, paper, hazard. Okay, not <laughs> <laughs> Any uh, high school kids listening, that's not how you pass the SATs. Uh, <laughs> you have to know the right answer. Um, anyway, um, that's awesome. Okay, so now you're in Providence. So like, let's set the scene, right? So now you're in Providence. You meet our wonderful co-host, Ro, Molly, other um, wonderful teammates, I'm hoping, right? Mm-hmm, um, sure. How did that play out for you? Now that you're there, you've passed your academics. Uh, that you needed to actually get into Providence and like what was that experience like for you um yeah especially coming from another country into uh, American college yeah so it's funny we obviously like I said was big Irish connection there so Keith Kelly was there Roisin Ema Roche um and like a bunch of others um but when I first got there it was funny like between August and December myself and another Irish girl that came with me, Roisin Quinn, like we, we used to cry in the dorm for like, for a little while. Um, just, I, I suppose it was just adjusting to the lifestyle over there. Um, I'm missing home, but so the first between August and Christmas was tough, but once, um, oh, but the only thing as well, I suppose that first cross country season, I picked up an injury. Um, I definitely, gained some weight um I just whatever I it's just one of those things and I um it was just before the NCAA with cross country and Ray I was only a freshman but Ray actually still brought me to the national champs and I remember they were in South Carolina and it was like hot um I ran I didn't run well I finished like 214 in my first NCAA cross country and mm-hmm. Ray for the for a while he like wouldn't show me the results um because there's only like 11 people behind me or something. So, but I didn't know that. There were so many yeah. races. I didn't realize how, how I didn't run well. Um, so, but that opportunity, I think that Ray had given me, I went home that Christmas and I, I don't know, like I really do think, think it was a little bit of a turning point for me um, in regards to training and maybe committing a little bit more to the whole like college thing that I was going over there to run and I had um four years and I even like Ray I suppose was nurturing was always going to nurture us through the four years but I think that bringing me to NCAA cross country that first cross country season um I think was a was a big was a big turning point for Mm -hmm. my my college career um over there I love those stories where you hear someone who says like oh I was like 200th at NCAA cross my freshman year and then I was like second my like junior year like you hear that a lot more than you realize I'm trying to think of some of the women who have had that story yeah because even I was 214 my first year and then the following year I was 28th and All-American so it was like I wasn't yeah I think it was like so it it was it's weird being 214 it just yeah definitely I don't know I think although at the time, I was probably embarrassed by that result or that run. It still set me up, I think, for, for my future. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think um, that it was just like the transition, um, age, I think, you know, time? Yeah, I think that. But I also just think like you, you, like you probably don't realize here in Ireland, like the competition's small. You kind of know everyone. So then when I went over there and I finished 214, I thought I ran OK that day because I don't know. There were so many people. I thought, oh, I must have done okay. Um, but it's just then the level of competition. I suppose it's like when you when you train with really good people or you're in competition with really good people, that raises the bar. So I think then I was like, okay, hang on a second. Like I was 214. So there's so many people that each year now, if I can keep improving. So I think that was like, you've got such a ballpark to play with that I think mm-hmm. that's why. Mm-hmm. Just was so I just really appreciative that he gave me that opportunity to bring me as a freshman because yeah other coaches probably would be like oh look at she was injured she's probably not in great shape yeah um, we we'll, we'll give her another year to mature maybe as an athlete but Ray was just like no maybe I don't know whether he saw something then whether he didn't but I'm I'm thankful he gave me the opportunity and brought me as a freshman 
Yeah, you're like 214 after that. Only place to go is up. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think so. Exactly. And then actually Mary, kind of a little bit of a confidence builder. What, what was your highest finish at NCAA Cross? Can you tell us? So yeah, I was fifth in Iowa my junior year. So that was like that. We did so well that year. We were third mm-hmm. as a team as well. Kim was second. Um, the conditions, it was so cold that day, like everyone probably knows, but um yeah, like that was, but it was so funny because like, obviously we delighted to be fifth, but actually Kim won't mind me telling this story as well, but I was fifth, Um, Mark, my partner was 25th and Kim was second and Joe McAllister, the guy she was seeing at the time, <laughs> was 38. So we had a little competition beforehand being like, oh, put, a, put our two scores together, who will be who? <laughs> And I was sure Kim and Joe would be, but we actually beat it by two points. (laughs) That's awesome. Okay. So you get through college, you have like a pretty storied, um, collegiate, um, campaign, (laughs) magical words here, uh, (laughs) career. And then you, uh, you become pro like many athletes, but you had, um, an amazing, feat that happened um in 2000 was it 2008 where you broke Sonia O'Sullivan's indoor 3000 meter record oh yeah so 2009 Roshin 2009 me to that yeah and that time was the fifth fastest um in the world that year and that's had you selected as Ireland's athlete of the month which is pretty amazing and then that same year you won the bronze medal um, at 2009 European Athletic Indoor Championships. Yep. Um, that, so, I mean, I don't want to, that's like, seems like the, the, well, okay. Skipped a whole part there. Everybody who's listening. She was, uh, an Olympian, um, in 2008. Well, kind of, kind of not. Oh, well, you, okay. You were selected, but then you missed the, the, uh, the actual games, right? Yeah. So it was kind of like, there was A standards, B standards. Right. Um, I'd ran a B standard, um, but at that time Ireland weren't going to take B standards. But then we kind of found out right. at the national champs they were going to take them. But Ray and I, I suppose I was training in Providence that summer, and we just were like, you know what, we're just going to concentrate. I this sounds, I know people are listening might be like, that's crazy, you didn't go to Olympics in two thousand eight. Right. But we we were kind of told lastminute.com that they were going to bring B standards, so we stayed and just trained. European and yeah Mary to okay. clarify had, hadn't you come off an injury then too and you were kind of working yeah, your way back exactly like- yeah so I come off the injury um so Ray I that is my I never really spent the summers in America but that summer I just was like myself and Ray were like look we're going to put the head down and we'll we look towards the cross-country season so then we kind of heard about the B standards. We just were like, no, we're going to stay on the path we're on. And you'd been mm-hmm. injured um, so often on and off during college and professional yeah. career, but you still managed to have some really amazing performances. Definitely, I'm sure, had you not had those, you could have run even faster. But like, can you talk a little bit about how you got through those injuries? Because it seemed like you would cross train like a mad woman and come out really <laughs> fit and still like manage to run really well. So like, what? when did you figure that out, that that's kind of like the way you had to approach and and what did you yeah do? I think now even like a couple of years on from that I wish I probably had incorporated a bit more cross training into my training but I never I suppose I didn't really have the confidence to really I thought like oh I just have to keep running big mileage and um to get the success but like I I suppose a little bit of a downfall it was good and bad so like I could get myself really fit in probably six weeks um I'd come out have that really good performance um, I'd be okay for another while, but I suppose because I didn't have that real base behind me, I might get hurt again. So those those kind of up and down, those flash big performances, and then there'd be another injury. Um, I think like I'm not gonna lie though, there was t- like if you ask family members or even Mark, like when I first got the injury, I'd go, I would go into like a dark hole sometimes, um, and not. I suppose I could, I think, okay, I'm going to give up. I'm not going to keep at this. This is just like not good for your mental health to keep coming in and out of injuries like this. But then once I kind of have a couple of days of feeling sorry for myself about the injury, I would just be like, okay, I will just change my running training into cross training. So I'd hop onto elliptical or cross trainer for like an hour, an hour 10. And yeah, I would, I'd get really fit off of that. Um, 
have a couple of weeks running and then my performance will be okay. But the injuries, the injuries were tough because I always used to think, oh, if I didn't get injured, maybe I'd, I'd run faster. But if some buts kind of as well, you know, you, you just don't know if, if that would have been the case. Um, but yeah, I think just if I applied yourself to cross training the same way you did your running. Yeah. And so I think what I was getting at was that like, um, why we had, I went backwards too. It's not really backwards. It's forward is that, you know, before 2008 Olympic games, you had that injury and then 2009, you came back and it seemed like, you know, with a sort of vengeance. And I do see that happen with a lot of athletes. Um, if you don't, if you stay the course and you, you still have, you know, dreams of running quickly and competing at, um, a high level that sometimes after injury, really amazing performances happen. What are your thoughts on that for you? Yeah, big time. Like, obviously, I think the motivation is high. Like that year, like, so I finished fourth at European Cross Country in 2008. Um, so I, I guess, yeah, you kind of springboard a little bit then in 2009. Um, it's, it's funny though as well. I think it was even later I was told kind of like, you know, your brain with cross training this way, sometimes I wish I did implement it a wee bit more. Like your brain doesn't necessarily know if it's running or cross, like cross training. Like obviously there's weight bearing with your running and not cross training. But like, um, I suppose you, I probably didn't give myself enough credit at the time with cross training. You can keep your heart and lungs so fit and healthy. Obviously you have, you have to harden your body to be able to tolerate the, the impact of running. But I just think, um, I don't know. I just was so motivated. I suppose I still kind of, I knew, I knew I was, that I was capable, I guess, to do something in running. Um, so I always, I just didn't want to give up until I, I always wanted like in my head. And I don't know if this is like even growing up in Ireland and stuff as well. Like I just wanted to go and win a medal or go to a European champs and get a medal. So I don't know, I, like the injuries, even though they were tough, um, mm-hmm. the motivation, they were tough mentally, but the motivation never really dwindled a huge amount for me. Mm-hmm. It's me mm-hmm. knowing you and like being, training with you for so long and being friends for so long. It's one thing like, you know, it's undeniable, like how, how motivated you are and how hardcore you are. It's like your mind was so strong. Like if you were, you weren't not injured. You were like, get out of her way. Like you won NCAAs after a setback. You 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 beat Molly in college. No offense, Molly. All the time. <laughs> she beat me all the time. And <laughs> um, you won like Boston Indoor Boston Indoor Games or the the New Balance Indoor Games. Like there's like if you were if you were fit and healthy, like you you know were the complete athlete. And it was amazing to see you and um, get Tanya's record and get a medal and. And yeah, it was just your, sometimes your body wasn't always cooperating. You know, you had the mental strength, though, to keep going. And it's amazing. Um, but that's Yeah, I think sometimes for, as well, right? I probably like, you know, and you girls could have testified to this. I probably like pushed those runs too much, you know, like because I was like I was so motivated. Like I go out and run my eight mile runs in between your sessions hard. And then I go into my sessions and they were hard. And I was like. You know, I probably didn't give myself maybe thing, but I just, I, I don't know. I suppose I love the feeling of running hard. That's my, yeah. that's my gamble. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Tales of Mary going off on hard runs in Australia. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Getting lost in the out, the back out there. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. Good time. Oh. So, so you know, so then you go and you you uh, get this coveted medal, right? So, can you tell us about the years that that come after after that so I yeah so it's just when you're saying about the motivation so I ran, won the medal in March of 2009 so I was like okay I had gone to world champs like I didn't perform well at the world champs in 2007 in Osaka so I was like world champs Berlin 2009 um but I came off uh indoors and I ended up getting a stress fracture in my pelvis but I also had this like um like, so I had a lump on the side of my head and my mom kind of pointed out to me and I was like, oh, I don't really know. So anyways, I got it investigated and I had this like dermoid thing growing that was usually they grow out the way, but 
for some reason, mine started going in the way. So I had gone through like skull bone and was heading towards like brain tissue. So they were like, look, we got to get this out. You could be prone to seizures and whatnot if we don't remove it. But in my head, I was like, no, 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 we got to wait. I thought I want to go to the world champs in August. So this will have to wait. And the consultant at the time was like, no, Mary, like we, we got to remove this. So the day that I was told what that was, um, I also was having this pain in my hip and my pelvis. So it was a stress fracture. Plus I had to have this surgery done. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of, I didn't obviously go to Berlin that year. I had that surgery. Um, I think I had that surgery maybe like in April um, or so. And then obviously I was injured. So that's kind of how 2009, that's, that kind of ended up that that summer. Mm-hmm. Um Mary, it seems like every time you'd get close to like the championships there, you'd have to deal with something. And like, that was a big thing to deal with. Um, yeah. And it kind of changed your perspective. I'm sure that moment, like you were like, okay, health over, over running. But like recently, I feel like you've had even, you know, a bigger degree of that perspective shift, like with yeah. the recent surgery and the cancer diagnosis, like. I, like, I know you weren't really competitive running at that point because that was only two years ago. But like, how did that change how you viewed running? Can you talk to us a bit about that whole moment in your life? Like, I know it's something you mentioned in your Instagram, but like, you're okay talking to people about it because you want to try and help them with whatever they're going through. Yeah, 100%. Like, it's weird because so you guys know, obviously, how the Olympics work. It's every four years. And so 2008, and then I was like, right, I'm going to go for 2012. Dad passed away in 2011. So then I was like, right, I really want to make the Olympics now in 2012. Kind of, I suppose, putting a bit more pressure because um, dad as well. Um, and then 2016, I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to really give it a go here. And I didn't qualify for Rio either. So then I kind of sat down with Mark and I was like, okay, like I knew I wanted to have a family and I suppose I was putting that in the back burner because of the four-year cycle um and like you said I wasn't really professional like in the sense I didn't have a contract or anything at that point so after 2016 I did I was like okay we're gonna maybe think about a family um so I was still kind of it was funny I never really fully said I was done with running because I didn't know to that kind of way I suppose running was such a massive part of my life and I hadn't really worked either in a different job role that um I suppose I was still kind of holding on to that family was sort of there but I started just a job in retail um moved home was in Dublin moved back to Seidel um and then in the summer of 2018 I yeah like you said I got this like weird like deafness in my ear I didn't really I kind of thought oh like there was something amiss I was but look back then as well I didn't think but I was kind of having night sweats and stuff too but I just thought it was all hormonal stuff and just running related or menstrual cycle all that kind of stuff so I didn't really think too much but the deafness in my ear was definitely enough to because we're so in tune with our bodies as runners I knew it was something that wasn't right so I went away on holidays with my sister to Portugal and we spent like two weeks away, oh no, 10 days away, came home, the ear still wasn't right. So I went and got it more investigations done. And so I went to my doctor and they weren't really sure kind of what was going on. They were doing like biopsies, they were doing ultrasounds and they couldn't really fully say for sure what it was. Um, So then I was about eight weeks pregnant at this point as well. And my doctor said that he was going to potentially put in a grommet into my ear to make me like be able to hear better. Um, but at the same time, was going to do this biopsy. Because I had a biopsy done on my neck. They were going to do this biopsy um, up my nose. So that was fine. But I, I didn't, I hadn't really told anyone I was pregnant either because um, I don't know if it's the same in America or anything, but you kind of wait for 12 weeks before you sort of say that you're pregnant. So I had to tell my doctor. So he was the first person I actually told, besides Mark, of course, that I was pregnant. Um, and because I didn't want to go under general anesthetic to have this procedure done. So we did all that under local. And um, that was, yeah, I was eight weeks pregnant. They did the biopsy. They found that there was something. They didn't really know what was going on. So they had to 
um, do more tests on my, my, my slides were sent to two hospitals in Dublin. Um, so another two or three weeks had passed at this point, And then eventually they came back. And that was nearly the worst point, not knowing sort of what was going on with me. Um, and then I got a call to meet my doctor privately. And I still didn't think, I still didn't think there was anything because I wasn't feeling overly sick. But then when I went in, we had a conversation and they still didn't really want to say. And that's when I was like, like, are you guys worried about cancer? And he was like, well, yeah, sorry, we are. And even at that time, it was weird because I was just kind of like, oh, okay, okay. And I didn't, it wasn't until I left the office and was by myself that I kind of got a bit upset about the whole thing. And were they able to confirm at that point or they just knew there was the... So, so like that, they kind of like, so he said that the worry was that it was cancer from mm-hmm. what they were seeing, but Sligo, my local hospital, hadn't really seen. They said, that, well, this looks pretty unusual. We're not really sure. Um, so they, they couldn't be like 100%. So I had to wait another few days. We brought back in. And the doctor was like, I'm, yeah, like you do have cancer. We're going to have to send you to Beaumont. And because I was pregnant, um, there was obviously then, there was sort of like a, a multidisciplinary team put together because I, they knew I had cancer. They didn't know if it had spread, where it was, any of that kind of stuff. So the only thing they kind of were sure of is that, it, yeah, it was nasopharyngeal most likely lymph nodes in my neck. I couldn't have the usual radiation chemotherapy straight away being pregnant. So the first course of treatment for me was to have my neck dissection surgery. So from I spoke with my consultant in Beaumont in Dublin Hospital on the Friday and they had me penciled in for surgery on the Tuesday. So I at this point I was just I was 13 weeks pregnant when mm-hmm. when all that was Kind of, yeah. So that was that, like talking about it now, um, it was weird as well. Like, so obviously I was 13 weeks pregnant with now, thankfully I can say Ellis. Um, but when I had spoke to family and stuff like that, everyone was like, it's okay. Like, you know, if you don't get through this and the baby doesn't get through, like it's more so if the baby didn't get through it. Mm. But in my head, and I don't know if this is, running or motive like when you spoke about motivation I just didn't see myself losing the baby mm. there was a fear there for sure but I didn't I didn't see myself that happening but it was it was really it was it was tough because now I know that the surgeon as well was like they were under like real time constraints which I wasn't aware of at the time like maybe they didn't want to say but like they had kind of three hours to remove what they needed to remove from my neck and for the baby to be okay. What a journey. Like any cancer diagnosis is terrifying, but you're facing like decisions based on, can I do this treatment that's best for me? Or do I do something else? Because I really am worried about this baby and this pregnancy. Like you had to make those choices and the doctors had to figure that out. That's so much more. Yeah. And I think that's what was kind of hard too, because so I was, I could have the surgery and then, but then I had to delay the treatment. And at that point, they were kind of like, okay, if we can get you to 28 weeks gestation, that, that could be okay, but 32 would be ideal. Um, but we'll obviously have to play it by ear how you're feeling along the way. Um, and then with my cancer as well, um, it's so the lymph, it had spread to my lymph node. And thankfully, they, like he, like my surgeon at the time, he was like, we had to, he removed so many, like 90 lymph nodes, but thankfully it was only in one, but because it had actually, they call it like extra capsular extension. So although it was in the lymph node, it was starting to go into the tissue outside of the lymph node. So that kind of changed then my treatment plan. So initially it was always just going to be radiation, but then chemotherapy was thrown in there as well because of, of because of that. Um, so that was another <laughs> hard thing to deal with because um, I could be going too f- fast here with, with it all, but um, Ellis obviously hadn't been born at this point, but my cert, my um, oncologist, who was an amazing woman, 
she I met with her when I was before I'd even had my surgery so she knew the whole background that I was pregnant that the, the treatment would have to be delayed but she also said because of where my tumor was located at my brainstem and it had grown up into the nasopharyngeal region um she was recommending a type of radiation that they don't do here in Ireland so I'd have to go abroad to have my treatment so it was like have Ellis a little bit earlier have a few weeks with him um, so we could eventually travel with him and then we'd bring him to Germany and we'd start our treatment. Which so, he started about, he was like six weeks old, right? Now. So yeah, just like he was about seven weeks. Yeah. So, and that was, a, so I, as well as that, like I thought when I had, so I was having the radiation, I thought, okay, I spoke to doctors and I spoke to a few other people that had had treatment and I still in my head thought, oh, I'll breastfeed because they said you'd, you'd probably still be able to breastfeed because your radiation would be more your head and neck. Um, so you should be okay. But then when chemotherapy was, mm. was, um, was put on the table, I, I obviously had to stop breastfeeding then as well. So there was a few things I had to, I had to figure out. And some of those things like, you know, it sounds like, okay, in the grand scheme, breastfeeding, you have to stop breastfeeding. Isn't like a life with the, your baby's going to be fine, healthy. But like, tell it like, that wasn't so easy for you to accept that was it as a mom as a new mom like that's not where your head that no because in my head harder, before that was nearly a harder blow than yeah 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 like, big time because before I thought before even the cancer diagnosis I thought oh yeah like I'll breastfeed for six months or for longer you know like I wanted and as well because and then even when Ellis was early I thought oh I, I want to do it for as long as I can like it, it'll be it'll be good but um, I find that so hard because I had to go as well to Germany when he was maybe oh, he was was he? he was only about five weeks. So I had to go for a pre-planning appointment over there to get my mask fitted for the radiation. Um, so I was away from him and I those few days mm. and I, I struggled big time not breastfeeding for even those, those just those two days. Um, mm. So I just, yeah, I did. I found it really hard to have to stop doing that. But obviously, when I was having the chemo every week, I knew I wasn't going to yeah. do that either. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Recovering from a baby birth and then major, major radiation chemo, it's like tough, tough, tough times, Mary. Yeah. So, so how are you like now? That was 20, that was 19, right? Yeah, so 2019, I finished my treatment September of 2019. Um, yep. So I have scans at the moment. I have scans every three months um, because so everything looks good within sort of the nasopharynx region up front, but the brain stem is still kind of showing something in my scans, but they can't say for sure if it's necrotic tissue from the radiation or if it's potentially still a little bit of a, of a tumor there but it's not growing which is a positive so I guess in like medical speak it's stable um but to keep an eye on things they are scanning me every three months mm-hmm. just to just to see how things are so your results haven't read um no evidence of disease no but but it's it, it's hard for them to exactly say what it is so it could be you're free of disease but because they can't say definitively they haven't given you that status yeah exactly and because I had my treatment in Germany there's a team there obviously and then there's a team back here Germany's practice would be to potentially biopsy that region to see um but because it's close to the brainstem there's a little bit more it's a bit more complex because mm-hmm. you know of that area um so at the moment they're happy just to keep scanning to see um and just unless obviously if it was to grow or anything like that then there'd, there'd be another course of treatment or another plan like should I say um mm-hmm. so yeah that's kind of where we're at with it at the moment what are some of your like symptoms that you're still experiencing now with what's you know yes yeah. evident so, in your body so for a while, like afterwards, so when I finished treatment back in September, that September of 2019, um, I was obviously floored. I ended up back in hospital a little while later just because my white cells were completely shot. Like they just weren't in a good place. Um, so I was very fatigued. But of course, the runner in me, I started back running after four weeks or something, which I probably should have waited a little bit longer. Um, oh, she's hardcore. <laughs> so the white cell, yeah, because they were low, 
it, like there was definitely a lot of fatigue. But the worst symptom I'm dealing with is dry mouth because of where my radiation was. Mm-hmm. Um, my saliva glands and stuff like that were were badly hit. So that's it's it's so hard to describe it, but it's just a horrible feeling. Like if I don't, like that's why excuse why I have the water. But like if I don't have some sort of liquid, it yeah, it gets very uncomfortable. So that's probably it. Doesn't sound like much, but that's probably my worst symptom. Now. Yeah. Do they say that that would is gonna last longer term, or there's no they don't have it? So say. it will improve. Like it's definitely improved since. Um, a year or two ago, like my swallow is still with certain foods, it can be still a little bit tough, but um, it will, I think in time it, it will it probably improve as well. Yeah, oh my goodness. Okay, Mary, so have you like um, you've only recently started talking about this journey? I know there was a really nice article written about you maybe a couple months, maybe a year ago now. Yeah, um, have you had people reaching out that are in a similar situation, or like have you felt that you've like been kind of a beacon for people because you were obviously you're a high profile athlete in Sligo, but now you have this other story. Like what's the response been like? Oh, like people are amazing. Like there's, you know, the more than the running community, like people in Sligo have been so supportive towards me. Um I would love probably because head and neck cancers aren't like there's not that much known really about them. Um I'd love maybe even to create more of a platform to speak about them and just to even if it's one person's like a, it's a fullness in your ear or something going on maybe or you feel something in your neck like um I wouldn't have been like your stereotypical I suppose I don't know, like example for somebody that gets the type of cancer I had so yeah if you could if I could create awareness like obviously there's been such amazing things done towards breast cancer um like other types of cancer but there is still certain cancers out there that I don't think are spoke about enough um, and I would love like definitely to to help in that in that because I don't know, I suppose people have done so much for me through even like through my treatment, like everything, um, all the help and support I got, I'd love to be able to give back a little bit more than maybe I feel like I'm, I'm I am really doing yet, you know. Mm-hmm. And and Mary, is it true that like, you know, when you get your cancer diagnosis when you're pregnant, is that is that a thing that you know, is that a, not common, but like, I'm sure there's other women who've had diagnosis during their pregnancy. Is the pregnancy cause like a rapid growth or something like that? Or am I confusing, am I confusing that? No, so well, see, that's the thing as well. Like uh, in a way, like, you know, I used to say, oh, I didn't really have treatment while I was pregnant. And my doctor's like, no, you did. You did. Your treatment was, your first treatment was your surgery, you know. Um, but there is other women out there that actually have to go through having their chemotherapy and their take those bigger risks even um to save their own life and you know it, it is it's balancing that and like I was lucky that I had obstetrician plus my head and neck doctor plus the oncologist that kind of all work together um but there is there's and I'd love to you know even women that are pregnant and have to go through their treatment I'd love to be able to help with that as well you know mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. definitely not spoken about often. I'm no, sure. it's not. Kind of like coming thing. back from pregnancy running, like, well, cancer treatment while pregnant is probably not talked about or known as well. Exactly. And, you know, like it must be it must be such a stress for women that like have to, you know, choose to get chemotherapy when you know what it, it's a poison, basically going into your body to save your life as well. Mm-hmm. But like. Um, if you're pregnant, like I don't even know for me, like when, you know, some people would say, oh, how'd you get through it up? But like being pregnant with Ellis was like probably the best distraction in a way, because it didn't give me time to think about, oh, I've cancer. What if it spreads? What if this, what if that? Like my, my mind was, I suppose, on the baby. Um, but if you have to have your treatments through all that, like that, mm-hmm. that's definitely not easy. And so great for people to see that Ellis turned out healthy, total, like it went well on that end. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. You know, like he only, like he spent two weeks in NICU. Um, But yeah, he, he's thriving. But I think they sometimes say that, that like, you know, babies, they're, 
they're little um, warriors, you know, they just resilient. Like, yeah. Yeah. They're so resilient, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how are you doing on the mental side of things? I think we always like, it's a lot of physical is always asked of people going through hard times. How are you doing? It's funny. It's, you know, some people have said to me before, like, um, as time passes and stuff like that, like, um, how, how are you doing with all? Like sometimes I, because life has been busy with Ellis, I nearly forget, not forget, but like, I think back to like how bad I felt like when I was having my treatment um, at the end of it. But mentally, it's, um, I, like, I don't know, it's, it is a funny one because sometimes, and this is like, it's no disrespect to people, but people will be like, oh, you look great. Like, you look brilliant. Like, you look so good. Like, you know, I'm like, one, I'm like, why does it matter how I look? But at the same time, I think people just tell you, oh, you look great because you've gone through radiation and chemotherapy. But I kind of struggled with that a wee bit because I'm like, there's days where I'm really struggling with my dry mouth and I'm like, I'm hot, I'm fatigued, I'm tired. And people are like, well, you look great, you look great. And I'm like, oh, you don't know what's going on in my head. But I'm like, oh, yeah. thanks, sort of thing. <laughs> so, you know, I'm just like, oh, instead of being like, well, actually, I don't feel... I don't feel yeah. great, you know, even though mm-hmm. you might think I look good. Um, but um, I suppose another thing is a little bit of a, not a, well, I guess maybe a bit of a struggle, but like, so I, I was runner and like, my, like I was like Mary who ran like kind of thing. But sometimes, you know, you're sort of known a little bit as well because you're cancer and you want to create so much awareness for that. But it is, it's sometimes it's a little bit of a struggle um, that that's what you're sort of the association with you a bit too, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And um I I think you something that I was I was catching with you telling how you're feeling on like a on a mental level. It seems like you continue to tap into like compartmentalizing things, mm-hmm. which I think is for me, it's learned through like physical activity and things that you do um throughout your day. And I was wondering if you felt that same way. Like, do you feel like part of you being able to compartmentalize even going through something really, really life-changing and difficult, plus, you know, pregnancy, which is life-changing and difficult in the postpartum. Do you think that that has anything to do with your, um, you know, drive that you've had and your motivation that you've had as an athlete? Or do you think, it, you know, what came first? No, I, yeah, I have to agree hundred percent. Like even um, when I had, so I had my surgery and I had Ellis and then I went back to my head and neck doctor and I was going for my treatment and one of the things he said he was like okay you know this is going to be tough when you go over for your treatment but put your athlete's head on you know and even like that kind of resonated I was like okay this is it I got to put my athlete head on I've got to get through this like six seven weeks of treatment um get to the end point and like you said you just you you kind of I took that right this is six or seven weeks got to get through this um Ellis was with us obviously in Germany for treatment I had obviously family support and stuff but um I think running has definitely taught me those skills 100% that you can yeah you're just like okay I'll park that for a little bit I'll, I'll get this job done and I'll move on to the next um and whether then you, you maybe don't look after yourself 100% along that way maybe that happens but yeah no I think her part like parking things and getting things done has definitely, it definitely comes from my running background for sure. That's amazing. That's amazing. It's interesting how much like sport can help in so many other areas, regardless if you do end up being a elite athlete like yourself. Um, so, okay. So you talked a little bit about what we, what you want to be doing now with helping raise awareness. What are other things that um, our listeners can do to kind of support your efforts there? I guess like, you know, I know people might think like talking about cancer isn't a positive thing, but if, um, you know, I even like I, I, to bring her up, obviously, Molly, she was such a good friend of yours. Um, and Gabe Grunderwald, when I got um, diagnosed, I reached out to her and she came back at me like with such a lovely message. So and Justin as well they are obviously creating such awareness for rare cancers. My cancer was obviously unusual, not so much rare, but um, 
if yeah, I guess like for, for your listeners, if there's any way that like we can just open up conversation about these kind of difficult subjects um, here in Ireland, over in America, like it's worldwide. Obviously, I don't think you can find anyone in the world now that hasn't been touched in some shape or form um, with cancer. So, yeah, I guess just like that, if anyone can, you know, share any stories of mine and um, or if I can help anybody, I like reach out to me and stuff like that as well, you know. Yeah, that's okay. That's awesome. And I think Molly, we can share, um, you know, the link to your Instagram, your Twitter, what are the best platforms to kind of follow you and, you know, cheer you on. How do we reach Mary Cullen? (laughs) I need to change my name. I'm like Mary 5k on Instagram (laughs) and then Cullinator on Twitter. The Cullinator. Cullinator. I like that. (laughs) Isn't it Cullinator 7? 17 yeah 17 yeah yeah don't get it wrong guys pollinator 17 (laughs) yeah uh but um but no like I think just like you know we all come from the running community and stuff like that as well and like I got so much support so um if I can just give back somehow I don't really I suppose you guys are so amazing at this kind of stuff that like you tell me what do I need to do to (laughs) to to help to help people (laughs) I think well, just, sharing your story is great. Yeah. And I, I love that you mentioned uh, Gabe. I think if people are, you know, looking to uh, support rare cancer research, um, you know, Brave Like Gabe is an organization that has started to kind of do that. Um, but, yeah. you know, like you said, um, I think sharing a story is a really, really great way to just raise awareness. People can have eyes on it. They won't feel alone if they end up going through the same thing. But um yeah, I just thank you for sharing all of that. And, you know, the purpose of this podcast is so that we can share, you know, lesser known stories of women in sports. Um, yeah. And so, you know, being able to share it here is a really good, you know, starting point. Um, is there anything else that you would want our audience to know about, about Mary? About Mary? Something about Mary? <laughs> <laughs> I need to see that movie. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks, Mary, for even just like putting yourself out there to talk about this. I know like it's not something that happened a long time ago. So I feel like you probably did want some time to kind of like, okay, like it's scary, but I can talk about it now. Like we're, Mm -hmm. we appreciate that you will talk about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like I think it's, it's like, you know, anybody, like we, I suppose we, we we consider ourselves so fit and healthy and we are so fit and healthy like that's you know it's part of our livelihoods um like running's part of us even um you know i think sometimes there's like a stigma that cancer potentially is like oh if you if you're unhealthy or there's like if you smoke or you drink excessively or this that and the other like kind of negative connotations sometimes associated with cancer but like it does not discriminate like it just it affects so many people and I think the more we kind of put that out there and just like you know if you do think something's wrong with your body don't second guess yourself you know your body better than anybody and I think um like I said as runners we're really in tune with that but for anyone out there anyone out there that just you know feels like something's not right keep following through with it because just and hopefully majority like nine times out of ten there won't be anything majorly wrong but like trust yourself as well I think sometimes Mm. we're we we might not do that and I just think Mm. that'd be something that I tell people for sure is just keep keep going if you think something is amiss yeah listen to your body yeah Yeah, you know yourself better than anybody else yeah yeah 100 percent. good advice great advice well um okay you're not um Oh my gosh. Like I, I don't even know, like you're more than Mary the runner and, um, you know, we're, I'm here to like support you. Um, no, thank through you so and much. through. Like sometimes it's just beyond so nice that part. That like I know yeah. like the story is so like long, I guess it's hard to kind of like squeeze it down, but like just yeah. like talking to people sometimes about it just makes you feel better so mm-hmm. as molly said like you don't like you know you don't sit down with people okay let's talk about my cancer journey or let's right. talk about my journey but like sometimes just doing this is 
So thank you very much for letting me come on and have this conversation with you. Oh, thank you for sharing that part of your world, that very, very personal part of your world. We really do appreciate it. Okay. Well, Mary, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate you for coming and keeping track. We'll be following along. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Mary. Bye. 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 Keep track. Keep track. Keep track. Major shout outs to What Cheer Writers Club Podcasting Studio, a nonprofit supporting Rhode Island's content creators and where Roshin and I record, and to Rudy Nakashima for our funky outro song. Thanks, guys. Don't be a failure, Alicia. <laughs> Every day I wake up and tell myself, <laughs> <laughs> do not fail today. <laughs> uh, gosh, okay, hold on. Try it again. Women's Running Stories, where we explore the intersection between running and life. Because every woman who is committed to a running journey has a story to tell, and this is where you'll find those stories. I am host and producer Sheree Louise Turner. I'm a 53-year-old runner, and together with original music by musician and runner Cormac O'Regan, we bring these inspirational stories to life. Please join us to fuel your adventures.